0: You're listening to LibraryCast, your library podcast, bringing to you libraries from home. On this edition of LibraryCast, I'm delighted to welcome Justin Newland, author. And it's been a while, isn't it, Justin, since we last caught up. I think I bumped into you in Glastonbury Library when you were going to be doing a talk. But you seem to love Somerset Libraries. I
1: do, I do. Um, uh, Somerset Libraries have been very good to me and given me a lot of opportunities to to do author talks i have three books out which uh, we will talk about i'm sure and for each of those i've written a, a 45 to 60 minute talk i write historical fiction so the talks are giving the background the historical background to those books so i use powerpoint slides And I've been good enough to um, give those talks uh, in various libraries in Somerset, including Wells, Glastonbury, Minehead, Western Supermare, Yatton, and so on. Uh, And I'm really grateful for that opportunity, the people that I've met, the staff there, I've come to know some of the staff, and it's been a really good journey. I'm only sorry that it hasn't been able to continue this year, um, because of, um, obviously, the, the, the lockdown.
0: So for those not familiar with the books, you've given us a little clue here, but I would like a good ending to a book. So you mentioned a little bit about your three books. Let's start off with what got you into writing in the first place and how you developed your first idea for your first book.
1: I, I started writing fiction back in my student days, um, back in my 20s. I, I remember writing a novel about Greek mythology. So I suppose even in those days, I was interested in the supernatural, in historical settings, in the sort of epic uh, fantasy world. But I put that to one side for many, many years and and actually did a lot of historical research of my own. Went to Egypt in, in, in the year 2000 and four or five years later developed the idea, well, I think I'd like to write a bit more about Uh, ancient ancient Egypt. So having a bit more time on my hands, a fascination, long-term fascination with Egypt, and having recently been there, I thought, well, now's the time to put pen to paper. So that's what led me to writing uh, The Genes of Isis, my first novel, which I began um, about 14 years ago. And it took me about six years to write,
0: A beautiful cover to uh, The Genes of Isis and some strong characters in there. Um, The character in the book that most inspired me is a strong female character called Akasha. Tell us a little bit about the character and the name, how you get names for these characters, because it takes me about three or four attempts to remember these names. And by the Mm -hmm. end, they become kind of favorites of mine. I've got to know them as if I'm actually in the actual drama of your book.
1: The name Akasha, I derived from, I, I got a bit of a love of esoteric, if it, if it be known. And the there's a society called the Theosophical Society, which existed in the 19th century, uh, with people like Madame Blatavsky, I think her name was. And she kind of popularized an ancient Sanskrit idea of something called the Akashic Record. It's fairly complicated to explain what it is, but that's basically what where I got the name from, uh, Akasha. In short, the Akashic Record is supposedly a complete, comprehensive record of every person's actions, thoughts, deeds, emotions, will. uh, In other words, their their whole historical record. So that's where it comes from. The character herself, I I really loved writing about her as it it, it portrays in the story her journey from, from Maiden Uh, to mother and from apprentice to priestess her story is that she has a dream uh, and this is set before the biblical flood she has a dream that a flood is coming which is clearly a huge historical event and and so it's about the the outplay of that vision and how the peoples of the time react to it so in short it's a retelling of the biblical story of the flood
0: I was coming to that, Justin. I, the the biblical um, parallels that come into the book is is immense, isn't it? And in many ways, you're bringing it to life. You're really colouring it in. You're the challenges and the and the struggles that happen with all the characters in your book. And Akasha is a great example, as you mentioned. Despite all the things that she's doing of a, of a woman that's driven with so much energy, she has a strong heart. She cares, and she wants the best for her children, but her people. And her the father of the children that comes into the book, was the biblical reference deliberate? Is it something that you wanted to bring in because you visited Egypt and uh, have learnt the history, or did it t- develop as you were doing research?
1: No, I, I, I guess I had done some research you know and conjectured about those almost like prehistorical times. We're talking about prehistorical records here. Because there isn't really any record other than, you know, um, the first book of Genesis in the Bible, which talks about those distant times. Maybe, you know, our historical record goes back 5,000, 6,000 years. So here, you know, we don't really know when the flood was. It was perhaps 10,000 BC. So the other good thing that that came about uh, in writing about those times was it gave huge opportunity for the imagination to run riots, really, to imagine all sorts of things uh, that might have gone on in those days. Like, you know, one thing that comes to mind is, is the origin, you know, as I, I sort of conjectured about the origins of jewellery, where jewellery in those days, the origins of it was that it was so personalised that because of the times they live in and because of the stones that they used in, in manufacturing it, if they wore like a pectoral, which is something that's worn around the chest, different stones would light up according to the person who wore it. So in that sense, it's completely personalised. And so those kinds of fantastical ideas, if you like, really allowed my imagination to to, to run with the, the whole story.
0: Let's talk about the old Dragon's Head. That's the first book that drew me into your adventures and your historical fiction, where I felt I was learning as much about history as I was enjoying the story. Do you have a particular favourite moment in that book that you would like to share with us?
1: Uh, yeah, I have, I have many favourite moments. Um, I, I think one that comes to mind, uh, as, as you mention it, is I wanted to explore Uh, One of the reasons that I chose to to write about China at that period was that in that that period, which was called the Ming Dynasty uh, Ming means bright They didn't just believe in ghosts and in karma and in the supernatural in a way that, say, we might talk about, oh, we believe in ghosts They ordered their lives according to that belief which is a completely different thing and I was fascinated by the law book of the time which set about all, those, all the ways that the, the populace had to conduct themselves in order to mitigate and, and keep in favour with the ghosts and the deities and the demons and everybody else who, who they were trying to satisfy. Uh, you know, I didn't really have to make that element of the story up. It was already there in the way they lived.
0: You're listening to Librarycast, brought to you by Somerset Libraries. And I'm chatting with Justin Newland. And I asked Justin if he'd read us a short excerpt from his book, The Old Dragon's Head.
1: Luli closed the shutters of the room, lifted the frayed edge of the carpet and opened the trap door. Under normal circumstances, whenever she made use of the tunnel, Rue, her son, would have stood behind her. Wearing that terrible look of resignation on his face, she knew so well. The one that screamed in silence to her. Why aren't you taking me with you? Then he would replace the carpet behind her. But these were anything but normal circumstances. She could close the trap door, but the carpet would have to wait until she returned. If she returned. How terrible that Chang had been found, half eaten by animals. The news had shocked her to the core and she was still shaking as she clambered down the vertical steps. What a dreadful time she lived in. Her husband dead, her son traumatised and sentenced for a crime he didn't commit. Heaven bled for such injustice. Her lantern sent flickering shadows along the tunnel wall, intermittent light and dark. The familiar smell of earth hit her nostrils. It always smelled like a grave to her. She headed north along the tunnel, avoiding the mice, the moles, the worms and other creepy crawlers. She had known about the tunnels since they were built. Over the years, she had explored every nook and cranny of the network.
0: I think when I bumped into you at Glastonbury Library, you were telling me about uh, a book which is now published, The Coronation, which I haven't read. So I'm intrigued to... I know nothing about the book. So I'd love you to share with us the, the plot of the book, if you don't mind, and where it's set.
1: The novel features a place called Friedrichstein, and it's set in medieval Germany in the 1760s. but set during the Enlightenment period, One of the things that drew me to that particular period was the huge change that was going on in Europe at the time, which was characterised particularly by the Seven Years' War, during which this novel is set. Usually in each of my stories, the background to the story is is conflict and war uh, of one kind or another, and this is the conflict then. The story, I suppose, could be summarized by saying the Enlightenment encouraged and prospered and inspired huge new developments in science, in literature, in art, and in behavioral science. For example, in the 1760s, really biology as a science did not exist. Now, we we can hardly imagine that because it's so part of our world. So my, my question is, what i try to explore in this novel is well, what happened to the great enlightenment what happened to these great fusion of ideas that came about in the 1700s why aren't we living in an era of peace no famine no war and and, and no pestilence how come we haven't developed to that point what happened in other words what happened to the great enlightenment because I didn't think that we should have ended up where we are today if those ideas of Enlightenment had been developed and prospered.
0: So you recently, and you've mentioned to me earlier, that you're doing a regular Thought for the Day on BBC Local Radio. I'm wondering, Justin, if you'd like to share a Library Thought of the Day with us for Librarycast.
1: Well, once upon a time there was a library in Alexandria it was supposed to house the knowledge of the world in all its intricacies in all its perhaps not in all its detail but at its core ideas which I I guess that's might have might be how it appeared alas for those who don't know the library was burned and that knowledge supposedly was lost So my thought for the day is, going back to my description of the Akashic Record earlier, what if that knowledge is still available in the Akashic Record? Because that is the real library of life.
0: I've been talking with author Dr Justin Newland about his current books, The Genes of Isis, The Old Dragon's Head and The Coronation. You've been listening to Librarycast brought to you by Somerset Libraries, bringing you libraries from home.